Hello, hello. Hey, everybody. Our guest today is a man of many hats. He's Wharton educated. He's a lawyer. Also involved with Warrior Rising as chief of staff. Veteran nonprofit that helps veteran entrepreneurs get off the ground and get to where they need to be. Give it up for my friend, Ken Venera. My name is Brian Shinborn. I'm an explorer of people, places, and culture. In my travels spanning over 20 countries across four continents, I've had the pleasure of engaging in authentic conversations with amazingly interesting people. These are their stories, on location and unfiltered. Presented by 8B Media, this is Half the City. So what's up, Ken? How's it going? Not much, Brian. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, no problem, man. So, um, listeners, we're um, we're sitting here on location in Philadelphia, beautiful Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. That's right. And we are uh, we're in the peak of the coronavirus madness, but we're not going to talk about it. We're going to give you guys something else to talk about. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yes. You. So, Ken, tell me a little bit. Um, one of the things I like to do is kind of discuss origin stories a little bit sure you know how people that have been that have seen a lot of success and things like that how they got to where they where they got so maybe you could maybe you could start with like just a little maybe a little bit more of an in-depth intro than what i provided what you're up to and then we can go back and like kind of dig in like how you got from point a to point b sure sounds good so um I, as you mentioned, I uh, have a bachelor's degree from uh, the Wharton School, the mm-hmm. University of Pennsylvania, my undergrad. Heard of that. <laughs> I uh, have a law degree, a JD, from uh, Widener University School of Law, mm-hmm. which uh, used to be the Delaware School of Law, um, and also have a master's degree in law in taxation from Villanova University. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of time in the class. A lot of time in school, for yep. sure, for sure. Uh, much too much time, as my grandmother would probably say, <laughs> for sure. <Right. laughs> um, I've been involved in a lot of uh, veteran nonprofit space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could talk about that a little bit later, if mm-hmm. you like, as well. Sure. But, uh, you know, currently chief of staff with Warrior Rising, a super, super organization that, as you mentioned, you know, helps veterans who are looking to start businesses, um, you know, and accelerate them. Um, you know, and earn basically, you know, their future. And, you know, a few others as well. I'm involved with uh, Vets to Industry, mm-hmm. uh, sit on the foundation board for them, um, and others that I've been involved with along the way. Um, you know, I can give you a little bit more background about that. Mm-hmm. I'm on the advisory board of Operation Homefront of Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, oh, for cool. example. What is Operation Homefront? So Operation Homefront uh, was founded probably about uh, 15 years ago, roughly, mm-hmm. I want to say. Um, to provide sort of emergency assistance to um, active duty military while they were deployed in order to keep their family stable and and uh, things like that. Hmm. Um, you know, they've since changed, not changed their mission, but morphed their mission a little bit more. Um, you know, they help with, um, you know, veterans that need housing. They still help with some emergency financial assistance and things like that. I mean, they're nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all about, you know, really maintaining the families for the military, you know, in times of, you know, crisis and things like that. They've expanded out a little bit towards, uh, you know, National Guard space and things like that, um, and some veterans up to a certain point. Hmm. But, um, you know, some some great work. As I mentioned, I was was very active many, many years ago with them, probably during the heights of deployments uh, from about, you know, 2006 uh, to roughly 2010. 
uh, or so. Um, I was chairman when they uh, had independent chapters. Uh, did a lot to really grow the Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey chapter into um, an actual, you know, uh, operating entity from mm. uh, what it was. And um, you know, proud to say that it's uh, still successful. I mean, national the national organization has nationalized all of the chapters now into basically field offices. Mm. But um, some of the people, you know, some of the key people that uh, I had put in place, like uh, Pete Stinson, for example, uh, who was uh, chapter president under me, um, is now a regional director for them. So, you know, his territory nice. pretty much covers all the way from Maine down to Maryland. Oh, wow. You know? okay. Yeah. It's a huge chunk. Yeah. So, um, you know, so there's that. Um, you know, try and do, you know, what I can. I mean, not having served myself, I mean, it's pretty mm-hmm. important for me to, um, you know, help out. You know, the military, there's a large military presence in my family as well mm-hmm. and a lot of friends of mine and things. And Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm a veteran, obviously, and I, I appreciate uh, everything you've done that you do for us. Um, just curious, I mean, where does where does all that come from? Like the desire to, sure. you know, uh, yeah, support, respect, you know, be with invo- uh, as involved with the military and vets sure. as, as you are? Um, you know, I, I'd say a, a lot of things. My... Um, Grandparents were, you know, an immigrant generation, Mm -hmm. you know, coming from Italy. Um, But, you know, they left Italy because there was not opportunity. I don't mean to sort of sound cliche about Mm -hmm. it, but that's really, you know, the truth of it. Um, You know, they came to this country and were extremely, extremely proud of it. Um, My grandparents themselves were the sort of oldest of their generation. So um, and they came from very large families. So uh, the younger members of the family uh, were born here and were proud to have served in the military. I had a uh, great uncle, my grandmother's brother, mm-hmm. that uh, among others, I mean, others of her brothers served in World War II as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, her youngest brother uh, just passed away about uh, six months ago now. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he was in the Battle of the Bulge and you know, he was 95, 96 years old huh. when he passed away. So there was a, there was a huge... Um, patriotic uh, feeling in the family, even though, you know, again, um, they came from, you know, a a different background, Mm -hmm. you know, ethnically, et cetera. Um, But very, very much in support of, you know, the military in this country, et cetera. And so, you know, very much loving the country and what, uh, you know, what was done. My grandmother was very funny, saved uh, my uncle's letters when he would write them Mm. from every place, from like France, from Belgium, from Germany, even oh, up, cool. yeah, yeah, and I still have them to this day because nice. she cherished, you know, like every one of those letters that you know he wrote. Um, I think their last stop, to be honest, even after the, being you know part of the Battle of the Bulge, um, their last stop in Germany was first in Feldbruck, which is right near Dachau, the oh. concentration oh, wow. camp. Yeah, 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 so I'm yeah. sure that you know they were probably involved in liberation, of, you know, Dachau wow. as well. Which it's wow. amazing. Yeah, so pretty awesome. So you, you, um, ever, you ever pull out those letters and like read them, like get an idea of like? I l- I've looked at them like. with friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's very funny to see like that first perspective and know that it's sort of a family member that uh, experienced that. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, you see things from like that era and you think, again, you know, it's a little bit cliche, but, you know, there's there's mentions of, you know, we really have Hitler's boys on the run now and things <laughs> nice. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's just crazy um, to think that they were experiencing that firsthand and, yeah. and, and relating it, you know, back as best they could. You mm-hmm. know, back in, in those days, there was no Internet or mm-hmm. things like that. You couldn't even really pick up the telephone to call right. family or anything. So. Right. 
Um, it was literally just letters, and like, who it. knows how long it took that's at that it. point. And it, some of them take them across on a ship or whatever and, else, right? And and some of them were are censored, you know, things like that mm-hmm. as to what was said, yep, so that you yep. weren't giving away like locations and mm-hmm. things like that while they were moving. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I mean, cool. you know, to feel like that part of history and and things like that. So you know, even subsequent to that, I mean, my father's generation, you know, I have uncles that you know served in Korea, and then thereafter. Um, you know, I have mementos that they've brought back from, you know, Japan and other places and so forth, you know, from their from their tours. Huh. Um, you know, a lot of friends of mine uh, served in the military as well, um, both, you know, ahead of me and even slightly younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I just have a great respect for them seeing what, you know, they were dealing with while they were in and, um, you know, the sacrifices that they made being away from family at crucial times and things like that in places that they didn't necessarily want to be to do what they had to do, you know. So um, it bred a lot of respect, you know, for that. But the real sort of impetus um, to help me, and I'm sorry if I'm talking too much. No, 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 please. This (laughs) is uh, for you, man. No, I appreciate that. This is for you to talk. I appreciate it. I'm listening. It's all good. Yeah. So um, I was working in Manhattan Mm -hmm. uh, when 9-11 happened. Mm. And, uh, you know, to tell you, it, it was, in all honesty, one of the most impactful kind of uh, situations I've yeah. ever been involved with. I mean, how, how I, close I, were you to Ground Zero? So I wasn't, thankfully, you know, at the World Trade Center site or even, you know, close yeah. to it in lower Manhattan. But, um, you know, it was still extremely traumatic. Uh, yeah. I actually was coming in on the train that day. And, um, you know, the first tower, uh, we were coming up along. Um, the uh, Meadowlands, mm-hmm. you know, area like, you know, and the train pretty much comes up at lower Manhattan right at the tip. Mm-hmm. So you're facing right at the oh, World Trade geez. Centers and, and World Trade Center. And the first tower at 848 was already on fire. Um, you then take a turn and start going up along Manhattan before you turn into the tunnel at mm-hmm. Penn Station. Yep. Um, but so, y- you know, we probably hit that point at nine o'clock. So as you know, at 902, the second tower was hit. So we literally saw the second. We didn't see Holy the plane shit. itself, but yeah, we wow, saw the second crazy. tower explode, man. And wow. I, I can recount to you, Brian, in all honesty, every word that was said on that train by everybody around me as to what was going on, mm-hmm. things like that. The confusion, the the craziness of not understanding, thinking that... It was a rogue plane and a pilot problem and all that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. all the way to, you know, no, we're at war and things like that. And then getting into a city, you know, one of the largest cities, you know, on the face of the earth um, and having it completely abandoned. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I know you don't want to talk about coronavirus, but it's like a lot like that apocalyptic, Mm -hmm. you know, scenes of streets that are usually full of, you know, hundreds and thousands of cars, like completely devoid of cars and people and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, just the horror of, you know, the towers falling, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, these are like, they were the largest buildings, the tallest buildings in the the world at one time. And here they are collapsing with thousands of people that you knew were trapped, Um, you know, just the horror of that. And, you know, everything that that came from that, us not being able to leave the city, um, that feeling of... Mm -hmm being told that you can't leave somewhere yeah. i mean it's not like being in prison but it's very much a uh, traumatic it's thing unsettling for yeah, sure like yeah like to say you know you can't leave you can't go home right. you know it's it's 
it's a very odd feeling. And then, you know, having, uh, you know, uh, fighter jets flying over overhead that you don't know that, you know, you can't see from the ground that they're necessarily U.S. planes, you right, know, not right. knowing yeah. right what's going on. And the Pearl Harbor all over Yeah, the like really. Shit, right? I mean, yeah. like it was, you know, trauma after trauma, mm-hmm. like experiences. I mean, there were uh, Grand Central Station was at the end of 44th Street, uh, which was the street in which my uh, office was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were bomb scares, so they would get evacuated, and you would see hundreds of people running down 44th Street, which is a very narrow street. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. two lanes, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, to see people running for their lives, man, like, it's a strange feeling. And then, you know, to, to cap that off, um, you know, we were finally able to leave Manhattan uh, that day. And, uh, you know, not until uh, about three o'clock in the afternoon, the George Washington Bridge finally opened up. Hmm. Um, we It took us um, about three hours to get from where the parking was all the way up to the George Washington Bridge, which was only about 70 blocks. Yeah. But um, literally just got across the George Washington Bridge and a van had pulled onto the lower deck and they closed it down again. So it was that kind of day where it was like you literally felt like you were trying to escape you know, what was going on. And then to see um, hundreds, hundreds, Brian, I'm not even exaggerating, but hundreds of uh, rescue EMT mm-hmm. ambulances parked in the center um, lanes of the New Jersey Turnpike all the way down almost wow. to lower Manhattan. I mean, it's just the, you know. It's the first responders. Yeah, the yeah. first responders from areas that were even further south than Philadelphia, of like my wow. areas that I like mm-hmm. recognize names of. Like to realize the kind of response that, you know, was drawn by the horrible things that were happening that day. I mean, it was just it just was uh, tremendous, you know, and I I managed to uh, come back into the city two days later. You know, uh, 9-11 was on a Tuesday. Mm. Um, That Wednesday, nobody was allowed back in. But that Thursday, I I made a journey back just to uh, see what was going on, Mm. to check in on, you know, clients or just to get some handle on the chaos. And, um, you know, imagine being on a 10-car rail uh, train and, uh, you know, the the total number of people on those all 10 cars was probably 20 people, you know, and, and I... It's a ghost town. Yeah, ghost train. it just totally was crazy. And, you know, I distinctly remember the car that I was in, there were four other people on that car with me. And... Uh, they had photographs of family members that they were going to try and go find. Now, this is two days later, oh Ryan. And all I could think to myself is like, oh, my God, man, like, it's two days later. Like, you know, if they're in rubble or like they're they're gone. They're gone. Yeah. Right. Like and but like feeling like in that position of like if that were me going to try and find loved ones two days later, I mean, like how horrible would that be? You right. know what I mean? Like so. Again, like it was just trauma after trauma in terms of you know those kinds of things. I mean, um, Bryant Park and other big mm-hmm. gathering, you know, open areas and things like that would have huge pieces of plywood joined together with hundreds of photos on them, wow. like in makeshift memorials, like wow. all over the city, man. Like it was just, it was just crazy. And then you know you would go back to like Penn Station and you would see firemen that like days after were covered in soot and stuff like that and just collapsed on the ground pretty much from exhaustion, you know, and seeing National Guardsmen in the station with machine guns and things like that. I mean, it's just not things you're used to in this country, man. And to have all of that happen at one time was, you know, fairly impactful to me. 
And that, you it, know, that, that was... changed everything, man. Yeah, and, you know, and so that was the genesis for me of, like, understanding why a lot of people would want to sign up, you know, after yeah. seeing those kinds of things. Um, you know, I was a little bit past probably, you know, maybe the waiver age, you know, even at that time, but still was interested in doing um, some way to try and help, mm. um, you know, and like I said, and then supporting friends of mine that were in because of it, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just changed my outlook as to how I could uh, play a part, you know, in helping yeah. out and things like that. And so, you know, I uh, I was active duty when 9-11 happened. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, 50 caliber machine gunner. Um, active in the Marine Corps. I was stationed in Camp Pendleton, so I was in San Diego. Yeah. I'll never forget, you know, I was eating morning chow. I was in the chow hall eating breakfast. And I'm sitting at this table by myself. I had already had PTSD at this point, so I was mm-hmm. in the process of being medically discharged. But I was sitting there by myself, and I looked up. You know, there's these, you know, TV screens, right, monitors or whatever, up in the corners. Um, and usually there's, like, the news or something on, right? I'm like eating, I'm eating an omelet, ham, green pepper, onion, and cheese omelet. Nice. And I look up and on the computer screen, or on the on the TV screen, rather, see these two buildings that are burning. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, this is probably just like a commercial, like a movie trailer or some shit like that, right? Yeah. And then, then the entire chow hall got quiet. And I looked up again and it said CNN in one corner and live in the other one. And yeah. it said the trade, the trade towers have been hit. Yeah. And it was at that point, you know, like I said, everyone got all quiet, finished my finished my omelet. And uh, as I left to go back to my barracks and get ready for formation, I heard this guy he just screams. He just goes, we're going to war. Yeah. And I was like, you know, like my patriotism shot through the roof at that point, man. Of course. Like, like you know, if I wasn't already um, dealing with my PTSD, I would have been deployed more than more than ready willing and able to be deployed sure in fact you know my unit was the first to go to iraq after yeah. after 9-11 yeah no uh, doubt fought in fallujah stuff like that um, no doubt it really tore me up for a long time actually afterwards that I, I couldn't be there for my brothers couldn't be there to protect and defend pretty common country and sure or or, or retaliate for it sure you know? But you find other ways to do it. I mean, and that's do. sort of, you know, me to a much lesser extent, obviously, than you. I mean, mm-hmm. you're already wearing, you know, the cloth of the country at yeah. that point. Um, but, you know, you try and find other ways. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's sort of what it's all about, you know, being part of a team. You know, yeah. is you you make do with mm-hmm. what you can do, yep. you know, so. Yep. So uh, so that's what led you to doing. A lot of military involvement. Philanthropic you know, work and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With that military, you know, uh, direction, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. So you were Ken Venera, what, corporate lawyer, corporate hack? Corporate corporate lawyer, <laughs> not corporate hack. Thanks a lot, Brian. Jeez. Corporate lawyer, for corporate sure. Corporate lawyer, okay. For sure. Okay. And then you started moving into this, uh, doing some of this um, volunteer or... Totally on the volunteer side. Totally I mean, volunteer. anything I was doing, even with Operation Homefront at uh-huh. that time, was all volunteer time. Nice. Still working full time mm-hmm. and, you know taking care of other things. I mean, I'm involved uh, very much in my uh, local community, Mm -hmm. you know, as well, like with my HOAs and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, just doing it on the side and, um, you know, trying to make a difference as much as possible. How do you have time for all that? (laughs) That's my question. I I don't sleep much. I don't sleep much. You know, you guys in the military, you probably understand this more so, right? Is that, you know, I'll sleep sleep enough when I'm dead, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Kind of thing. That's that's the old gun he says. (laughs) That's it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I kind of living proof of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, uh, 
Yeah, I just try and do as much as I can, you know. And I'm pretty efficient when I mm-hmm. do things, you mm-hmm. know, for sure. When I have the support to be able to do it. But right. um, so, so tell me a bit about. Um, I want to keep talking about this veteran stuff for a minute. Sure. Like, tell me a little bit about um, Warrior Rising. So I sure. know a little bit. I've gotten involved with Warrior Rising about six months ago, mm-hmm. roughly. Yep. Something like that. That's how we met, actually. Sure. But for the listeners, maybe you can kind of give a little high level view, and then you know I can talk about our involvement, how how we got. Connected as well. Absolutely. So um, Jason Van Camp, uh, he was a major uh, in the uh, U.S. Army. He was a Green Beret and uh, Ranger. Yep. Um, He was, uh, you know, medically retired uh, from the military, Mm. uh, but still, you know, fairly young guy and said, you know, look, I have a lot of uh, life ahead of me. Mm -hmm. Um, Got involved in uh, starting a business himself Mm -hmm. um, because that's what a lot of his peers that had gotten out were doing. Um, and quite a few people that were colleagues of his would, you know, want to sort of emulate what he was doing and, um, you know, got the idea of asking, you know, him for assistance. And he said, well, you know, maybe it's a good idea to create a, an organization or a program whereby, or a program within an organization whereby, um, we could help, uh, veterans were looking to start their businesses and support themselves, basically, mm-hmm. you know, and and reestablish the purpose that existed in the military, yep. reapply that um, ambition, et cetera, that mm-hmm. existed there, uh, restore, you know, sort of that dignity of being, you know, receiving benefit from what, you know, their own hands and their own work and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did, uh, you know, he created uh, about uh, five years ago, uh, back in 2015, stood it up put together a program. At first it was live instruction, but then converted to um, uh, video instruction, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And basically uh, the program has evolved into a four pillar program that provides instruction, mentorship, funding opportunities, and then the last part were community, uh, which recognizes the fact that even coming out of the military, one of the things most people miss is that sense of team that yeah. existed around the military mm-hmm. people. Um, so it's reestablishing that being the local face of, you know, Warrior Rising in locations throughout the country. You know, the organization has uh, really, really prospered, you know, quite a bit, thanks to, you know, a lot of what, uh, you know, Jason and the team have put together. They, uh, you know, are getting or we're getting approximately, uh, you know, last year uh, over a thousand applicants. Wow. Yeah. That's um, huge. Yeah. And, you know, pretty steady clip of, you know, 20 to 25 applicants every week. Wow. Um, yeah. And where, where are they coming from? Like, all over all the country. States? All over the country. Um, yeah, I can tell you probably the top five states. Um, number one, absolutely, is Texas. Um, hmm. There's a good 13% of all the applicants are coming from Texas. Uh, it's second, a big veteran state, too. Though. Sure, yeah. sure. And and it, they all follow pretty much that pattern yeah. as well. California's second. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably with like close to nine percent are all wow. coming from California. Wow. Florida is probably a close third with about you know seven percent, mm-hmm. and then of course you know uh, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Pennsylvania, New York. Believe it or not, wow. um, you know. But uh, you know, as of last count, I think we had applicants from all all but one state. I think we had forty nine states that we had applicants from. Wow. Uh, Vermont being the lone holdout of really? all places. I know. Vermont. Vermont I know. Wow. Oh, you would figure. You would right? think it would be like Alaska or yeah. something like that or Hawaii. Mm-hmm. No, Vermont was the lone mm. holdout. Although you know that that might have that gap might have closed since then. I mean, this yep. was probably a month or so two ago, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. Oh. So, um, you know, the organization really, you know, it focuses on being a full life cycle. I mean, mm-hmm. there's lots of organizations that do parts of it that are very similar. Yep. 
um, you know, mentoring and things like that, as well as government programs through the SBDC or mm-hmm. SBA programs and uh, things like that as well. But, you know, where Rising really pr- prides itself on being a full life cycle for that so that somebody comes in at any given stage, whether it's concept or whether, it, you know, they're further along mm-hmm. as well. They could have, you know, be in an MBA program even. Yep. It pretty much looks at that individual and says, here's where you are. Here's where you need to be to mm-hmm. move on to the next step. And then we'll shepherd you, you know, through all those stages, whether it's funding, whether it's, again, maintaining that community mm-hmm. on the back end. Uh, you know, et cetera. It's not just sort of a one and done, you know, yeah, we mentor. No, we, we're doing everything, you know, that's part of that program mm-hmm. to make sure that uh, people are, feel like they're treated, um, you know, individually, mm-hmm. you know, with what their needs are and then where they need to move on to to achieve, you know, viability, sustainability, which are the two, pill, you know, two guide stones, mm-hmm. uh, guideposts, sorry, and, and be able to sustain themselves, you know, mm-hmm. in business. So, yeah, I'll tell you, you guys. You guys got me, man. I, I, we had this discussion the other day, you and I did, and I forget, I forget exactly how I came across Warrior Rising, but I, but I did, right? Mm-hmm. I came across it, and I, I put in my application, you know. So I had to, I submit my business plan, I submit my pitch deck, right, that kind of stuff. You know, what kind of funding I'm looking for, and you had me when you got a hold of me, and you said, Brian, I think you're one of the most prepared guys I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. It's yeah. truth, though. It's truth. You know. <laughs> Seen a lot of applicants for sure. Yeah. And, and listen, you know, even those that aren't as well prepared, I mean, we do our best to try and, you know, help them well, as well. Well, but, that's the thing, though, because, I yeah. mean, like I get nervous because, you know, I don't want to fly by the seat of my pants. Right? Sure. So I want to make sure that if I'm going to do something that I'm going to put all my heart and soul into. Sure. Um, especially given some of these other opportunities in the past that I had gotten um, the short end of the stick on. Yeah. Um, I want to make sure that I built my my media company um, on a solid foundation. Sure. Right. But it's. I think it's good to have that, but you also have to recognize at what time are you ready to take the leap and to start executing. Sure. Right. So like for me, I had planned and planned and planned and planned and I, you know, recorded some interviews and, you know, stuff like that. And I was nervous to hit submit. Sure. Right. Sure. And it wasn't until um, a friend of mine, she, she put a big boot in my ass and said, fucking do it. Do this, Brian. Do it. <laughs> Just exactly. hit submit. Right. Hit submit. Do it. Do it. Exactly. Just no more. There's no more pussy right. fucking around or whatever, right. you know, like just do it. Uh, and so I have, yeah. and you know, it's, it's been going all right, but, um, you know, so, but the point being is that if, you know, if there's other applicants out there on, or entrepreneurs in general, um, veteran entrepreneurs, vet, vet, well, even just regular entrepreneurs, like in general, veteran or, or otherwise, you know, there has to be a point in time where you have to say, okay, sure. Let's execute. Yeah. I'll you tell you the biggest two problems, Ryan, that I see, you know, and this is pretty typical, as you mm-hmm. mentioned across the board, uh, whether military, you know, ex-military or not. Mm-hmm. Um, is, you know, people either follow one of two routes, and that is they either uh, plan and don't execute, Mm -hmm. or they execute without planning, (laughs) which is also a big problem as well. Yeah, they could both be recipes for disaster. Yeah, and they they are, because, you know, the executing without planning is definitely a a recipe for driving off a cliff. Well, that's where you're just (laughs) making shit up, right? Yeah, (laughs) driving by the seat of your pants, that kind of thing. It it doesn't work. It might work for a short time. Yeah. But, you know, that, and that's why also, you know, we strive for, again, it's viability mm-hmm. and sustainability, right? Yep. Like viability meaning, you know, will it work mm-hmm. and sustainability, you know, will it last, yep. you know, kind of thing. Because they're very, they're, they're both very important. You yes. can't have one without the other. Yep. Uh, you know, it's a little bit hard, I will tell you sometimes, especially, um, you know, trying to have people who put a lot of their uh, effort into something and they've worked very hard either in the military or, you know, in trying to stand up their business, Mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to tell people, 
that are entrepreneurially minded um, have a little bit of ego, you know, mm, behind it that, sure. um, you know, where they have gaps and identify, you know, where their flaws, um, you know, that sometimes is a stumbling block because people take it as criticism, mm-hmm. but it's never intended that way. It's right. really just intended to say, look, you know, we don't need to help you where you're strong, but we need to help you where you have gaps, yep. you know, where mm-hmm. you're missing things. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's a little bit hard, but I think once people understand that, yep. they don't see it then as criticism. They see it as, you know, helping you in, in the areas where you're weak, you know, yep. and that's what a team does, yep. right? I mean, yep. that's what your teammates do is they pick you up where you're weak, you know, and help you. you know, talk, talk about so. egos, man, because not only not only are, you, are these people entrepreneurs, so they believe in themselves enough right. that they have something that people want to buy. Sure. But they're also veterans, which means they've gone through hell and made and it out alive to talk and about. And seen it. a lot of things you know that saying? other people yep. haven't seen, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, so <laughs> it is yeah. hard. It's hard to tell somebody, like, here's what you don't know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Yep. It's, oh, no. I, I mean, even in our first couple of conversations, I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, you know, you kind of like, you know, talk me off the ledge a little bit, you know, shit like that. So I want to know. Um, so you mentioned. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about your partner, Jason, or, you know, the, the leader of this. Um, well, he's executive director. I work for him. <laughs> right, 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 right. He's the leader. Yeah. Um, Jason Van Camp. Uh, so you're saying he's a Green Beret officer? Yep. He was. He was a major. Major? Yep. Nice. I wonder mm-hmm. if he knows my I wonder if he knows my friend Chris. I bet he does. Uh-huh. He, was a, he was a lieutenant colonel Green Beret. He was 30-year uh, Schmidt. Uh, I don't know. Possibly, yeah, he was though. A, he was a... Um, he was an army in the army for like thirty years, and eighteen of it as a Green Beret officer. Well, wow. yeah, pretty long, significant career as well. That aside, because I'm, I'm just kind of mumbling on about that, but I'm just curious, like, what if any types of values or frameworks, uh, maybe that Jason got from his time in the Special Forces, does he carry over? That, if, if any, that is uh, well. It's not if any. There's certainly yeah. uh, certainly a lot of them. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that could be probably a show all by, or program all by itself, <laughs> right? To be honest with you, um, Jason, to get him on. <laughs> you, you definitely, you definitely should. I'd highly yeah. recommend it, man. I'll tell yeah, you I'd what. You know, Jason is one of the most you know inspiring guys mm-hmm. um, that I've ever crossed. You know, come across in my life. He looks at things with that you know intense drive. Uh, towards, you know, success. I mean, you know, he he will tell, you know, no rush to, to you know, don't rush to failure. You know, you know, he's a very selfless guy, mm-hmm. very interested in helping other people. Um, you know, even when he, you know, he just uh, wrote a book, Deliberate Discomfort, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, is, is now out on Amazon, et cetera. Um, but, you know, even doing that, I mean, you know, there's people out there, especially in the military community that write books and other people, you know, people have different opinions about, former military people that write sure. books and things like mm-hmm. that. But I can tell you, you know, in all honesty, I mean, Jason is definitely a guy that is about um, helping people. You know, mm-hmm. like he, it's it's first about, you know, teaching and um, driving you to be a better person mm-hmm. um, before even himself. I mean, he's definitely a guy that's, you know, about team, uh, creating that, you know, sort of team spirit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his concept of, uh, you know, deliberate discomfort, you know, from special forces times, um, you know, his training, et cetera, uh, revolves, you know, around that whole idea of, you know, putting yourself into situations where you're not comfortable and getting used to that and making yourself a stronger person. Oh, yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I can tell you, I mean, that's the theme of his book. 
Um, he tells it through stories of individual, you know, individuals in different situations, uh-huh. to, you know, as examples, uh-huh. and then gives you sort of the science behind it. I mean, it's a tremendous, tremendous book. I mean, there's a lot of um, great lessons, you know, that he has there. But he is a person, man. Uh, it, it's it's way beyond even what's, you know, in that book. I yeah. mean, he is definitely the type that um, inspires people to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, which is obviously one of the main characteristics of, you know, being a leader. Yep. Um, you know, again, it, it's all about uh, creating something above himself, putting himself out there all the time. I mean, I can't even tell you all the sacrifices. I, I could tell you, but again, that would probably be its own, own show. Yeah. All the sacrifices that he makes. I mean, um, you know, he's got his own business, he's running, you know, Warrior Rising. He's got a family, a young family, mm-hmm. you know, besides that you know, requires and demands, you know, his attention and things like that. And he really gives his all to all of those things. And uh, it's just amazing. It's just amazing to me, you know, how he's able to do, you know, all of that stuff. And like I said, I mean, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy. I have a pretty solid background myself, Mm -hmm. but um, I definitely consider Jason one of the most, you know, inspiring and admirable guys I've ever come across, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of having those qualities of leadership, but also that side that um, you know cares about people, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely not the typical hard-nosed military um, when it comes to um, the interpersonal side. Mm-hmm. But surely, um, in terms of the values and characteristics that he carries over from his training that you asked about, mm-hmm. he's definitely um, you know all about you know carrying them over in the best way possible to help people be better people, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. So that's that's interesting. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the. Uh the concept of deliberate discomfort. Sure. Um, I think, I think he and I kind of share that ethos. Mm -hmm. For for years I've said about um, getting comfortable outside your comfort zone. Right. So we word it a little bit differently, but I, you know, I consider myself very comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, it's the things that are unfamiliar, the things that you don't know, you haven't done, you haven't eaten. Sure. Um, You have people you haven't interacted with, whatever. Um, you know, that's part of the reason why I dropped everything in New York and moved to China, right? There you um, go. I didn't know anybody. I didn't, sure. I'd never been there. Yeah. I didn't know what to expect. You know, never mind the language, right? Yeah. Um, but until you until you get out there and do something, you know, like getting getting in that discomfort zone or getting outside of your comfort zone, I mean, that's... I feel like that's where you... That's where the learning happens. Sure. That's where the growth exactly. happens. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, that's where... You know, you, and, and there's nothing wrong with like staying in your your little bubble your entire life either necessarily. Well, I mean, some people can live sure. nice, comfortable lives. Different whatever. strokes, different strokes for different folks, you know, as they say. Right. But you know, the the real genesis of creativity mm-hmm. comes from um, you know stressful situations. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, I mean. Yep. Um, I know you didn't want to talk about coronavirus, uh, but whatever we can talk I mean, about it. <laughs> well, not not too much, thankfully. There's right. too much to talk about it as it is. But you know, the thing I find is that um, you know, innovation yeah. comes from stressful, you know, from problems. Yeah. You know, like uh, look at all the inventions that war throughout history has created. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a lot of innovation has come from you know technology and things mm-hmm. like that. Have come from you know being in those kinds of situations where like, look, we have to do something about this. You know, whereas if people are just comfortable, mm-hmm. they're never really going to look outside. There's no there's no reason to look outside their comfort zone, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. like their little bubble. Mm-hmm. So I, I would look at uh, that discomfort kind of concept as being the genesis for creativity and mm-hmm. innovation, you know, for sure in society. So, you know, it's that force to move, mm-hmm. you know, past 
where somebody might exist at any given time. And certainly, uh, you know, as I said, I mean, um, you know, that's the credo that that Jason follows, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. What was so. the um, what, what was the thing you're telling me? So we went for a walk earlier today, um, kind of you know meeting of the minds kind of shit. Um, two awesome philosoph- two philosophers walking a, along. It was, little, and, it was a little philosophical. Yeah, yes, yeah, it, was it was good. For it was, sure, it was a walking sure. meeting. <laughs> um, but you were talking something about um, there's like a loop, like a cycle. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, so the good people are strong people sure. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So the saying goes that, that? Um, weak men make bad times. Bad times make strong men. Strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much the cycle. And I, I didn't originate that, obviously, right. but clearly, but, it's but a pretty I, I mean, accurate. That stood out to me because I'm like, it's yeah. you know, it's all about the hustle, right? It's yeah. about the struggle. The struggle is real, right? Yeah. Like I for uh, sure. For example, I was basically homeless for two years. Yeah, right? amazing. I, mean, I, was, amazing. I was couch surfing, fucking. I was living in a hostel for the last six months. I just yeah. got into my own place. You know, fighting with the VA, trying to get my disability benefits and all that shit. Um, and it and it took me, like, they were just sitting on it, man. Like, it took me going into the VA, triggering the shit out of myself. I was, tri- I was so triggered. I was, like, convulsing yeah. in this place. Shame. If I wasn't struggling like that, you know, what, you know I was doing all that while I'm building sure. out this company. Sure. You know, while I'm, I'm managing a restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. Shout out to Chipotle. <laughs> um, you know keeping myself extremely busy, like sure. I'm working like a hundred hours a week. Right. Sure. And, uh, you know, but still taking myself into a place of extreme di- discomfort Yep. where I was extremely triggered and I had to go there numerous times over the first month or so mm-hmm. just to make sure that the paperwork was right. Um, you know, I'm getting, they understand my situation, sure. right. Finally was able to get some, some VA treatment, which I've been denied for for so long, started getting that thing going. If it wasn't, me taking that action when I was struggling, I would not have seen any sort of sure. success, mm-hmm. right? So as a result of me going there and taking matters into my own hands, um, it sped the process along sure. quite a bit. Yeah. yeah, and necessity is the mother of invention, mm-hmm. you know, like they say. I mean, it's unfortunate, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's what spurs on that creativity to right. want to, you know, get out of that situation, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like most people, in the, if they're in a good situation, don't look for ways to get out of it. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, so. I think about, I think about the, the innovations. It'd be interesting to see a study on the innovations between people coming from cold weather yeah. versus people coming from... Like the tropics, yeah, you know, because like yeah. that beach life, man. That's great. right. Like, you know, who wants who wants to leave San Diego, right? You got a coconut, you got a beach. <laughs> exactly. <I> mean, <laughs> why do I need to go anywhere? Right. right. For sure. Yeah. You know, um, it was funny. Um, you mentioned uh, you going to China, you sure. know, and speaking, uh, you know, not knowing the language very well mm-hmm. or things like that. I mean, being placed in a completely uh, foreign culture. Mm-hmm. You know, et cetera. You know, I often think it, it just reminds me of hearing you say a few of those things that, um, you know, one of the things I admire most about my grandfather, my dad's dad, mm-hmm. was, you know, he left, um, you know, Italy at 17 years old to come to this country. Um, did Which not. Is, that's a bold move. Man. Totally a bold move without yeah. his family, mm-hmm. um, but not didn't even have. I mean, if you have a certain level of education, even if you're still not educated in that language, you understand how to sort of get around a little bit better, mm-hmm. how to ask different questions, et cetera, that might help you mm-hmm. in that situation. But, you know, he hardly had any education in Italy, came here at 17 years old, 
you know, started a family, um, you know, within two generations, you know, here I am going to an Ivy League school, mm-hmm. you know, and then law school, you know, even right. beyond that. So, I mean, it's real, it's real testament again to, you know, that pioneering spirit or, you know, putting yourself, like you said, in, you know, or as Jason would even say, you know, in that uh, situation of, of discomfort, you know, and then. Uh, forcing yourself to to excel, you know, well, to, that's, to that's get the yourself dream, out of right? it. Move yep. to America, yeah. You know, uh, work hard, work hard, <laughs> and yep. hopefully your children or your children's children right. can uh, can see. As long as that, as long as that there. element of sacrifice is there, mm-hmm. absolutely, Brian. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think um, in some ways, though, what's been lost on um, many a younger generation than you and I mm-hmm. is. Um, People want immediate gratification. Sure. And mm-hmm. that's the thing that I think has changed the most. They don't want to work for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they're, they're, it's not even so much they don't necessarily want to work for it. Um, they're not willing to sacrifice their own gratification for the benefit of future generations mm-hmm. necessarily. In other mm-hmm. words, they're not willing to postpone their gratification yeah. in order to set the, the you know children, the, the, you know, the future generations up for that success. And I think that hurts because um, my grandfather's generation uh, in and of itself, um, you know, yeah, they would be considered successful maybe by the standards of where they came from, mm-hmm. et cetera, but they wouldn't be considered necessarily successful in this country. I mean, they were blue collar factory type workers in this country. I mean, my, my yeah. grandfather worked in an asbestos plant, you mm-hmm. know, which who would take a job in an asbestos plant today? Right. Like you would never Nobody, do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it wasn't like yeah. he you know, in his own generation was successful. But, you know, in in the way that mentality of sacrificing, you know, for the benefit of, you know, his children and then their children, Mm -hmm. you know, and so forth, creates that opportunity. And I think that's what's, you know, gotten lost a little bit is, you know, it's it's not that people don't necessarily want to work hard. I think if people understood that how things worked a little bit better, they probably uh, would be more willing to do that. But I think what's gone is the putting off, you know, the self-denial kind mm. of aspect mm. in favor of, um, you know, helping the future generations kind of thing a little bit. So, yeah, I could kind of, I could kind of waffle on that one. I mean, because, yeah. well, I mean, because I, in, in one sense, I agree with you, mm-hmm. right? I think that sounds fairly accurate. And the other side of that coin, it does sound a lot like, you know, millennial bashing. <laughs> right? Well, we're, I didn't mention any group. No, I know. <laughs> I know but like, I'm a millennial. I'm an elder millennial. You're an right? elder millennial. I'm an elder millennial. Um, but but actually, that's in favor of you know millennials in that well, generation well, because that's one of the things. If you look at a lot yeah. of commentators, mm-hmm. they'll say like you know the millennials are a generation without hope of doing those things. And well, but, I think but that's they're also part saying they're why. the ones spending all their savings on avocado toast and shit. Well, <laughs> you know? that wasn't me. That wasn't me saying <laughs> I know, that. I, know. I, I don't think that. Yeah. I think you know. I think that um, a lot of people, if they're guided in the right direction, mm-hmm. um, you know, will do the right thing. I yeah. mean, I think. Um, I don't think anybody wants to be lazy or yeah. do bad things or anything like that, right. you know, by, by far. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that with the appropriate kind of direction, though, uh, and it's like anything else. I mean, you know, to, to sort of go back to where you're rising a little mm-hmm. bit, again, you know, you have people that are talented, sort of, you know, former military in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you just need the guidance in other directions to, you know, create that analogy, to create that bridge mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you need people willing to do that. And you know, kudos to, you know, people like Jason that are willing to, you know, sort of show that path to people. Mm. Um, you know, I think that's what's really important. I think that's what's missing very often, you know, in today's society. Mm. Um, yeah, know. I hear that. So. I hear that. You know, it can, it can be hard to um, connect all the dots. Sure. 
Quick, quick question. How did like how did you guys? How did you two come into like contact? How did how did you come into being? So uh, very funny. Like I said, I was uh, doing a lot of um, you know veteran related activities and things like that. Um, I was doing a lot of sort of freelancing on the internet in terms uh, on LinkedIn specifically, mm-hmm. uh, helping guys find jobs because w- when I went into you know more of an advisory board role with Operation Homefront, I was really looking for an organization that would help former military find, you know, jobs to be, mm-hmm. you know, again, sustainable, you know, in that way. I couldn't really find at the time a group that I thought was being very effective in that regard. I mean, there were lots of groups that um, were trying to educate, you know, employers about how to hire military and all kinds of things, you know, around surrounding sort of that, mm-hmm. but but never anyone that was really sort of directly doing that. So, I was trying to help um, people as I could with, you know, mock interviewing or looking at the mm-hmm. resumes and all these kinds of things. And, uh, you know, made friends with a lot of people along the way. Um, and in particular, uh, one guy, former Navy guy, you know, he said to me one day, he's like, you know, you should really get in touch with this guy, Jason Van Camp, and uh, see what Warrior Rising is all about. You know, like they're helping guys, you know, start businesses. And, I thought about it for quite a bit mm-hmm. and said, you know, that's probably even better than trying to find people jobs mm-hmm. because you start a business. I mean, you can possibly employ well, multitudes. Right. Jobs, exactly. Right? It's force multiplier, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing in a way. And I'm like, right. you know what? Like maybe I haven't, you know, been narrowing my focus too much mm-hmm. in that, you know, going into this arena of helping, um, you know, military start, uh, start businesses is actually probably even a better thing. And, you know, got involved with uh, Warrior Rising, got involved with Jason. And, you know, I'll tell you, like I said, you know, Jason's charisma, man, like his drive towards, you know, what he's doing. I mean, you know, again, you look at like traits of leadership, man. Mm-hmm. You know, if people inspire, that's one of the key traits of being a good leader. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jason definitely inspires I me, mean, clearly inspired me to, you know, want to put my efforts towards doing what, you know, what Warrior Rising is doing and mm-hmm. making it into a success. So, but yeah, that's... That's pretty much how it came about. Huh. So, two years now, yeah. almost, just about a couple months short, but pretty yeah. close. Nice. Yeah. Um, sorry, I kind of bounced it around a little bit, but uh, bounce all you want. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just you know, as, as you're speaking, things are things trigger, right? Sure. Because um, I, I connect dots as well, right? Yes. It reminds me of um, you're talking about helping people connect the dots, um, helping helping entrepreneurs get going, that kind of stuff, veteran entrepreneurs. Um, it reminds me, the weird thing is, like, when you're in the military, everything is laid out for you, right? Mm-hmm. You're part of this machine, and you do as you're told, and, you know, but, you know, by the time you get through boot camp or basic training, or maybe your school afterwards, you pretty much know how to conduct yourself and what is expected basically every day. Sure. Right? So you're, you're in this... Um, mood. Sure. That's what's the word I was thinking of. Uh, whatever. You're in this. You're in this fucking mode where every single day you know exactly what you have to do. Sure. On the entrepreneurial side, every day it's it's a blank slate, right? It's a clean slate. Like you you got to figure out everything that you're doing. Um, you know, you write the script basically, right? And it reminds me when I went to grad school and when I went to business school, the first day of orientation, um, one of our I think she was a career services. Um, Barbara Heil, shout out to Barb. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, She wrote two words on the board, on this whiteboard. She said, embrace ambiguity. 
flexibility name yeah. of the game for that's, sure that's something that's kind of stuck with me and that's kind of what it, what it made me think of there when you're like oh you know helping people connect the dots and the circles and all that stuff because sure. you know again when you're when you're going from something where everything is regimented like that's that's the whole reason that term is there right it's, mm-hmm. it's regimented routine basically every single day to what the hell am i doing i'm creating something out of nothing right and that can be a big change man and and, and yeah. people well so I think, you know, again, and forgive me for characterizing, Mm -hmm. you know, never served in the military myself, but I think a lot of what you're talking about in the military is not necessarily that overall everything is regimented, right? right? Mm -hmm. What's regimented is training, right? And whenever you're in a, and and execution to a certain extent, like certain operations, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's because like in life, you can only control the things you can control, right? right? Mm -hmm. I think the thing, again, piecing together from a military perspective that people, they understand when they're in that that situation, but then don't understand it necessarily once they get out Mm -hmm. because they're not within that framework, Mm -hmm. is that that basis, right, that foundation Mm -hmm. for that kind of regimented training, et cetera, and that following orders in a certain way, following, you know, standard operating procedures, et cetera, is because eventually in many situations, especially in combat, you end up not seeing, you know, the the regimentation, right? In other words, you end up seeing the things that go off the reservation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, you know, you're, you're living life in the margins. Right. The so, you know, mm-hmm. it, what's that expression that, you know, um, no plan survives first contact with the enemy, you know, kind yeah. of thing, right? Or like Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. Until you get punched <laughs> in the face, right? Like, so, shout so out that, Mike. Shout out to Mike. <laughs> so, you know, but that's the whole idea is that it's, it's you know, mm-hmm. one of the beautiful things about military training is saying, like, look, we're going to create this foundation mm-hmm. from you so that when you're placed into these situations where you're not sure, again, going back to the whole deliberate discomfort, mm-hmm. you know, concept, you know, with Jason, um, you know, it's training yourself to constantly react in a certain way mm-hmm. so that when you're faced with that ambiguity, when you're faced with that uncertainty, mm-hmm. when you're faced with, you know, the, the enemy in your face at, you know, 50 meters, you know, kind of thing you're now able to deal with that because of all of that muscle memory, regimentation, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like, you know, calming yourself down, thinking in a certain direction, um, you know, is is extremely valuable. You know, mm-hmm. it's extremely valuable when you're facing, um, you know, uncertainty and things like that. I tell people very often, um, you know, if I asked you, for example, to navigate from your bedroom door of your house to your front door, you're going to be like, not a problem, right? Piece of cake. Right. Yep. But all, right, mm-hmm. but but all of a sudden, if you're blindfolded and it's dark, right? You know, you're gonna start employing tactics that you know about your training, right? You're gonna put your arm out mm-hmm. and reach a certain distance and feel around to get your bearings for what your environment holds. Again, all of these things from training, et cetera, to understand, like, I need to know what my environment is. Mm-hmm. I need to know what the weather is. Mm-hmm. I need to know, assess the situation. Mm-hmm. All those things for training come in handy now because. What you're doing is reducing the number of variables down to the minimum number so that you have the best chance, you know, an opportunity of success. Mm. You know, the other uh, analogy I use a lot Mm. when I'm like mentoring is that um, it's a lot like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. Mm. You know, when you first start out with a jigsaw puzzle, you know, you dump the box of a thousand pieces and they're all over the place. Some are Mm -hmm. the backside, you know, that's all brown without the picture and some are the, you know, the the picture side. Mm you have edge pieces, et cetera, you know, so the first thing you do is 
turn all the pieces over so you can see that you know they're all facing the same way. Mm-hmm. Why again reduce those numbers of variables of unknowns and things like that? that mm-hmm. You have to uh, you know a smaller number. Then what do you do? You put all the edge pieces together first. Why? Because there's a clue with the edge pieces that all the other pieces don't have, and that is they have an edge, oh, yeah, <laughs> right? Right. So you you again you put them all together, and now you've reduced the variables down, mm-hmm. you know, to a smaller number. Then you start to put like pieces with like pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Again, utilizing as much information as you possibly have to reduce those numbers of variables and so forth. And little by little, man, you put those things together and you end up with a complete, you know, picture from that. And that's what it's a lot like, I think, you know. So yes, there is that aspect of regimentation in the training and always going about it so you develop that muscle memory. But it's the application of that in those situations, like in combat or otherwise, Mm -hmm. where you're facing unknowns, and very much so like when you're in business, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, the consequences aren't quite as dire as being in combat. But, you know, you're facing pretty, you know, dire consequences if your business is going to fail and things like that. And you have to support your family. Well, and and your employees, if you have employees. Right. And and your employees' lives, et cetera. So, you know, there's a lot of situations like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. look, look at all of the the things that come up in business where, you know, all of a sudden they're, uh, you know, a regulation is passed, Mm -hmm. for example, that you didn't have to do X, but now you have to do it. And that's going to cost you three times as much Mm -hmm. and possibly, you know, you don't have a margin left anymore, you know, or look at what's going on with this. Sorry, but the coronavirus thing again. I know. I thought you didn't want to talk about it. I keep going back to it. I'm so sorry, man. (laughs) That's all everyone's talking about. But but, but, but it's such such a good example, (laughs) man, because if you think about it, you know, what who was who was planning for this in their business three months ago? Oh, nobody. Who, right. Who was creating that reserve to carry them over this, you know, situation three months ago? Mm-hmm. And and that's this, you know, that's the kind of stuff. It's like, what do you do when something hits you mm-hmm. that you really didn't expect? Well, yep. now you revert back to your training, your muscle memory, your things that like you know work. In these kinds of situations, Just to help guide your you, hands. right? Like, wash your hands. <laughs> Not you know? traveling on an right. airplane, Brian. You know? Right, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, but it's all of those things that mm. help the situation, reduce the number of variables, yep. make it more manageable. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody has a crystal ball, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody has a crystal ball ever, you know, kind of thing. So what do you do, man? You reduce the number of things, the unknowns down to a manageable level, mm-hmm. you know, and you do that, you know, by utilizing that training and so forth. So, mm. so I, 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 I agree with you. I mean, there's a lot of regimentation, et cetera, to mm-hmm. the military, but it's there for a reason. It's for, yeah, it's for a purpose. For exactly. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and the same reason that it is there, you know, in the military is the same reason it's effective and useful even in the business world mm-hmm. or in life in general, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of developing ways to cope with uh, situations, you know, and, and the unknowns and so forth. So, hmm. habits. We are a habitual good habits. Animal. Well, yes. good habits. Correct. Developing good habits, Correct. you know, for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's again training, right? In the military, yep. develop good habits, yep. right? You know, and mm-hmm. do things the right way all the time. You know what I mean? Getting so, up at zero six. That's it. Creased camis, <laughs> spit shine shoes. Sure. You're cleaning your rifle every sure. second you get. Yeah. Responsibility, mm-hmm. dedication. Yep. I mean, all those factors yep. that again will get you through. Tough situations, mm-hmm. you know. Focus. Uh, focus, exactly. Laser-like focus. Yep. Yep. Do it. For yeah. sure. Been a pretty good chat so far. I, mean, I think so. Saying, I been... Listen, I enjoy talking to you, man. Mm-hmm. I could talk to you probably for another three hours if you wanted to. But... Yeah, we could um, we could uh, filibuster this shit. <laughs> <laughs> we could. We could. But it's been good, man. I, no, it's you been know, good. 
Really um, love you know being on the show for sure, man. Yeah. And I love I love the thoughts you know that we're talking about you know because yeah. I think it'll help a lot of people. You know, it helps a lot of people to hear, even if they already know it. It helps to hear sometimes to reinforce yeah, well, things. Yeah, I, I so. think you know I, I think one of the important things is. This is a, this is a podcast, so it's not visibility, but you know what I mean, like yeah. accessibility. Maybe like when people have an opportunity to hear or see things that you know they might not know, they might not know otherwise, sure. or to see it again. Maybe something reinforcement thought about in a while. Sure. Like reinforcement. Reinfor- yeah. Um, you know, it could help a lot of people, and that's to be honest, like that's why that's why I get people on that have interesting sure. stories and are, are doing are doing some really cool things. Sure. Like yourself. Um, but that's also why I'm so like uh, open and vocal about like you know my like my PTSD experience and stuff like sure. that. You know, um, because the more you can talk about things, the more people can understand. Sure. And the more people can understand things, um, the more people can be helped. Absolutely. Right? Cause, you know, because whether whether you have like a like a thing like a mental illness like PTSD, or whether you're running a business, right. Um, a lot of times you can feel like you're on your own. Sure. Being an entrepreneur can be lonely, man. It I'll can be. What. It and, can be, for you, sure. And you hear other people's voices and, and hear that there's support out there um, and there's resources. Absolutely. Um, you feel a little bit less less lonely. You know, you know? I, I'll tell you, too, Brian, just to you know close it out maybe on mm-hmm. my end sure. you know, as well. Um, you know, I, I, you know, we talk about like a Wharton education mm-hmm. and law school and things like that. And some people may, you know, view that as well. You know, you're in a different league. You know. an asshole. <laughs> no, no come on, man. Seriously, no I'm attorney well. jokes. <laughs> but no, I mean, seriously, a lot of people will sometimes look at that and say, well, you know, I'm just a regular working guy. You right. know what I mean? Like you're different, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Mm. Um, you no know, pedestals, I, man. Well, you know, it, it it's all about the modesty, you yeah, know, for, for sure. sure. Mm-hmm. Um but the thing I want to emphasize really is, you know, I, I was not that guy that was just handed things, yeah. you know, by any stretch. Right. Um, I struggled in school. I, mm-hmm. I was the type of person that had to read things five or six times oh. before it actually made sense to me. Write out my notes again, just to, you know, get that repetition, mm-hmm. get that reinforcement, you know, et cetera. Um, there, there's, there's almost, almost nothing I would say, in all honesty, that with effort, you know, with the hard work and, mm-hmm. and me as an example, I mean, um, that you can't really, uh, that can't be achieved. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm living proof of that, man. Like I would be nowhere but for, you know, hard work mm-hmm. and perseverance and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that ability to just, you know, keep driving on and look for oh, inspiration yeah. wherever you can. I mean, that's, you know, that's the other thing I think I would add, you know, for listeners out there, et cetera. Um, you know, find those people that are a positive influence mm-hmm. in your life and hold on to them. Absolutely. Uh, no matter what. Yep. I mean, there's plenty of opportunities for negative you know, out there. And, you know, you can find people all day long mm-hmm. that want to bash your ideas mm-hmm. and things like that. But, you know, when you find people that are inspiring to you and uh, drive you to be a better person than you are, stay with those people, yep. you know, for sure. Because that will make you a better you, no mm-hmm. matter what. Um, mm-hmm. At any level, no matter what you're doing, however you're deciding, you know, even if it's about building your family, it's just all about that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, find those people that drive you to be better. And uh, no matter where they are, teachers, whoever it happens to be, and uh, you'll end up in a better place, you know, for sure. Hell yeah, man. Those are good nuggets. Yeah, I think this is a pretty good, pretty good time to pretty natural point to stop sure um that's what that's what i look for a nice good conversation authentically 
on location. <laughs> on location in Philadelphia. In Philly. Uh, nice. Anything, anything you want to plug? I know we talked a little bit about Operation Homefront and Warrior Rising. Sure. Um, you know, all good organizations. Um, you know, Operation Homefront, Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, obviously a field office. Uh, you know, deserving of support. I'm on the advisory board there. They're still, you know, doing a lot of great stuff. First and foremost, to my heart, you know, is Warrior Rising. Though, yep. uh, I'll tell you for sure. The, the work that Jason's done, like I said, you know, is helping a lot of people to create a lot of really good things. www.warriorrising.org. Uh, you can go to the website. You can go under the Get Involved tab and become, you know, put in an application, become a entrepreneur. You can, uh, if you're out there and you've been an entrepreneur for several years and can offer advice uh, to up and coming, you know, military businesses, uh, you can become a mentor. And certainly, by all means, um, if you are so inclined to support you know, the organization financially, please do because no one I know can operate you know without money you yep. know nowadays. So absolutely, absolutely awesome. Um, third group, you know, vets to industry mm-hmm. that I'll add, and I'm also on the uh, board of the foundation there, doing a lot of great work. Uh, Brian Arrington, um, you know, trying to piece together resources for veterans, you know, stem that tide of you know the 22 number that uh, mm-hmm. we all hate to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so a lot of good work, you know, being done by a lot of good groups. I um, recommend them all. Um, you know, as I said, first and foremost to my heart, Warrior Rising, but certainly all the others, mm-hmm. you know, as well. Anybody, you know, helping the you know, military, certainly a deserving cause, my book, mm-hmm. and uh, encourage others out there as well to, you know, do it. So Sounds great, man. Well, I appreciate the chat. Thank you. Ken Venera, everyone. Peace. You've been listening to Half the City with Brian Shinborn, presented by 8B Media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends, and leave a solid five-star review to ensure these stories get spread far and wide. For more information, as well as to listen to other shows, including Relentless, a survivor's search for passion, purpose, and inner peace, and beyond Relentless, be sure to check out 8bmedia.com. Thank you for listening.